may be seated. We have been making our way through a brief series on uh, Jesus' gentle heart. And we have seen that he is sympathetic. He sympathizes. He feels our feelings and suffers our suffering. And perhaps the worst suffering that we uh, experience um, is when we are carrying around in our hearts the disintegrating rot of sin. It affects us, it affects, it poisons the people around us, and yet today we see the priestly heart of Jesus in heaven, passionately and compassionately praying for us. He is glorified. He is in heaven, but he is still in a physical form that is by virtue of his renewal, following his resurrection, has even a greater capacity for gentleness and sympathy. So our point this morning is we, we, uh, he is interceding for you now so that you are saved to the uttermost and you know it. Jesus interceding for you now so that you are saved to the uttermost and that you know it. Uh, listen to God's word. Uh, this is from Hebrews chapter 7, just three verses, 23 24 and 25. The former priests, before Jesus, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Just that last verse again. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus, first point, Jesus is interceding right now. And some of you younger people among us might be asking, well, what does interceding mean? What is an intercessor? Kids, it is possible that as you look at your parents, you can can see that one of them uh, is a, a little more harsh than the other. I'm not naming names, but it's, it's possible that one might be a little bit quicker to say no than he or she is to say yes. You may have noticed that. One of your kids, one of your parents acts and treats you differently. Well, the other parent is sort of a quiet, behind-the-scenes go-between. And that other parent may say to the more stern parent, that was a little bit harsh in the way that you disciplined. Or, it really is an okay time for this child to go and and play with a friend or whatever. 
You see, an, an intercessor an inter, is, is one who, who stands between and, and speaks on, on a person's behalf to, to another person. Uh, who speaks to another on your behalf. And so Jesus is interceding for us now, before the Father. He is functioning as a priest, an everlasting, an eternal priest. Now, the two main jobs of a priest was to offer sacrifices on our behalf to God. And that is done. Jesus died. The other thing that a priest does is praise on your behalf to God. And that's what he's still doing right now. You see, we have, we, we, we have a, a saying in the church. We talk about the finished work of Christ. And that is a wonderful thing. Uh, Christ, is Christ's work truly finished? That's the question we're looking at today. It is a great slogan that Jesus did come to the earth to accomplish certain things, and he did so. He um, shed his blood for our sins on the cross, and even on the cross declared that in that one word, to tell us die, it is finished. I remember getting a note from uh, my, the mother of a very dear friend I had purchased at the death of my VW Camper. I got a Toyota Camry from a friend, uh, mother mother of a friend. And she, after I'd paid about three quarters of what of what the note was, I got a I got a letter in the mail to tell us die. I'll never forget it. That means it is finished. You can it's yours now. It's all yours. And so Jesus has done it. We can't add to it. It is completed. And we want to think for a minute about what, what we call justification. It is an act, a once-for-all act. It is not repeated. It's, it's one-time thing. It's an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins, our shameful deeds in the past. You shudder to think about them still. Our discouraging sins in the present. It bogs you down still. Forgiven, as well as the ones in the future. It's amazing. And he accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Jesus imputed or reckoned or counted to us and received by faith alone. It is, as some of the, some of the theologians would say, it is an alien righteousness that we get. It's a righteousness from outside of ourselves that is given to us. It is alien. And and it is, it's a hard thing for us to grasp, isn't it? And this finished work of Christ can be a misleading statement because it can lead us to think, it can mislead us to think that Jesus is simply sitting in heaven, heaven now, waiting to see if his bride would get there. You hear what I'm saying? He's done his work, it's completed, and so he's just sitting there, Waiting. And that is a, that is a disturbingly inappropriate thing to think about our Lord Jesus. His death and, res- uh, death and resurrection accomplished justification once for all. And his intercession applies it over and over again, constantly applying that justification by faith, hitting 
the refresh button in heaven moment by moment, day by day. We need it. We need it in our own hearts because there is a moment by moment drift from full confidence in this alien righteousness that is given to us. A moment by moment drift from it. It's the opposite of how our hearts work. There is a mechanism inside of you that defends you against any accusation so you don't need alien righteousness. Do you follow me? There is a mechanism in your heart that works over time to resist the need, the felt need on your part, of this alien righteousness. Yesterday I opened the refrigerator and I got a a bag of, of shredded cheddar cheese out of the crisper door drawer and I'm and I'm I'm taking that, that out and 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 shredded cheese just starts dropping all over the floor. You follow me? Has it ever happened to you? What was the first thing that came into my mind? The very first thing that came into my mind Gail. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't long It wasn't long, thank God. But the very first thing, it couldn't be me. It had to be her. You see her sitting there. She looks malicious, doesn't she? That's that's the way our hearts work. But listen to this. Um, The same love that fastened Jesus to the cross causes him to constantly plead with the Father to welcome you home. My blood was shed for this one. The Son pleads because of his love. The Father says yes because of his love. So what is the heart of Jesus like right now while he's in heaven? Uh, It is not that he had a burst of mercy that, uh, that convinced him to take on human form and come into this world and eventually go to the cross. But now, since he's been raised up and it is heaven, that he's, his passion for us has cooled down a little bit. Not so interested anymore. No, the text says he always lives. He always lives. And what he's doing as he always lives is interceding for his people with his gentle and kind and persistent heart. He is drawn to you as he was drawn to the blind man in the Gospels, the one who cried out, Son of David, had mercy on me. Jesus healed him just once. He listens to you every day and gives you mercy on a daily basis. He, as the text says, saves to the uttermost. That is an unce- there is, however, an unceasing, low-grade impulse to contribute to our own salvation. And we like to downplay just how much we need our salvation. And we are ready to say, Jesus saves for the most part. We can concede that. The text, however, says he saves to the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost, and I think that happens in two ways. It certainly happens in two ways. Once, uh, on the the one hand, we have a full-distance Savior. We have a full-distance Savior. 
we speak of uh, one of the doctrines of the faith is the perseverance of the saints. And by that we mean that if you are truly a, a Christian, you will persevere until you are welcomed into heaven. And that is certainly true. I, I prefer the description of that doctrine, however, as, the, as God's preservation of the saints. Because he's the one who gets you there. It is not ultimately up to you. And so there's a strange figure that shows up in, in Hebrews chapter uh, 7, a, a man by the name of Melchizedek, who is unique in that he has, there is no reference to parents and there is no reference to his dying. And so it, it, it's sort of a poetic imagery of the fact that he looks like Jesus, eternal on both sides. No beginning and no end. And so that becomes a model, really, for the, the priestly ministry of Jesus. That Jesus, Jesus is our priest in heaven, listen to this, it's beautiful, by the power of an indestructible life. He is the, verse 24, permanent high priest who is always praying. Your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not even strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. And this is what uh, John chapter 6 says. Uh, John chapter 6, verses... uh, I'll read the, a couple of verses beginning at verse 37. John 6, 37. For I have come down, I'm sorry, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, All will come. I'll never cast anyone out, and I will lose nothing in the preservation of the saints by God. Imagine you're, you see a glider, uh, a glider that is sitting on the tarmac at an airport, uh, in an airport, and there is a, a, a long cable that is connecting that glider to a, a small engine airplane. And, and that airplane um, pulls off, drives down the tarmac, and it lifts up and it soars, and the, and the, the glider follows the airplane silently, and without, without, uh, it just soars up into the air, and and later, only later, is it disconnected, and then it's and then it descends gracefully back down to the tarmac. We're the glider, and Jesus never disconnects. We're the glider, and Jesus never disengages, never releases the glider and lets you drift. You never lose his power. He doesn't just hope you get to heaven, he gets you there. He does that by his prayers, by his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his daily prayers 
for you. This is a prayer that I, I make most mornings. Thank you for the grace that has preserved my life to this moment. And I love every word of that. Thank you for the grace that has preserved me and my life um, for every moment, up to this very moment. Got me through the night, sustaining me this day, and if I wake up tomorrow, praise God. And, and, so, and so this grace, this preserving grace, I've made it through the night. His grace wakes me up each day and I can pray that every day until one day I wake up and I'm in glory. Jesus, praise us there. Do you know this Savior? Do you know that you are connected to Him? You are trusting in Him as your sin-bearer and trusting Him to pull you all the way home. The second thing is, Jesus is not only a full-distance Savior, He is also a deep-down Savior. A deep-down Savior. We talk about being completely forgiven and that is absolutely gloriously true and wonderful. But there remain in our hearts uh, deep and dark secrets and we feel the judgment of the law against us. We are aware of ugly attitudes and ugly behavior. We're aware of that. We're aware of our recurring anger. We are aware of a tongue that instinctively complains about the lot, their lot in life. And there are deep crevices in our hearts where sin has a very deep grip. And so we're aware of the laws against us, but we also have an accuser, an enemy that accuses. And he reminds us, with your flickering love for God, do you think you're really a Christian? With your self-indulgent heart, do you really think you're a Christian? No wonder Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, no wonder Paul would say, not what is it that condemns you, but, you remember? Who? Who is it who condemns you? This is what he goes on to say, Romans chapter 8. Who is it to condemn? The answer, Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us as long as those accusations come. But where you are most ashamed, you can trust that Jesus loves you more. When you feel most defeated, that is where Christ's heart is drawn to you the most. God's forgiving mercy rinses clean the most stubborn stains. He serves, he saves to the uttermost. And he's praying for you when you can't even pray. So, two things in conclusion that this teaches us, it persuades us. And the first is that Jesus' prayers warm, warm, W-A-R-M, warm your prayers. Jesus' prayers warm your prayers. How do you pray when your heart, heart is cold and disinterested? How do you pray? 
Um, how can you really uh, believe that God loves you when you're trying to pray and your mind flits to a sports team or your bank balance or what you're going to get at the store a little bit later in the day? All when you're trying to pray. How can you pray when it's the very last thing that you want to do? You remember that Jesus targets Satan's charges with his prayers. Imagine this. Tomorrow morning, you're, you're, having, you're opening your Bible in the morning to have some quiet time with the Lord. Great. Encourage that. Expect that you're doing it. But imagine that in the next room, um, imagine in the next room that you heard Jesus praying for you. What if you heard him say something like this? My blood covers her, Father, and I know you know this, but Holy Spirit, would you let my friend in the next room know it too? Would you let her know that she's carrying that ugly, uh, toxic load and she doesn't have to anymore because I came to carry that for her? And so Jesus' prayers warm your prayers. So you bring to Jesus the things that you feel worst about. And slowly there is a gospel drip, I don't know what else to call it, a gospel drip that slowly rinses our minds from this perspective that grace comes not to us once we've gotten our act together, but when we realize that we can't. That's when grace comes, and it flows, and the burden is lifted. And so Jesus' prayers warm your prayers. The second thing is, you pray with joyful humility and spirit boldness. Pray with joyful humility and spirit boldness. When we know that Jesus pleading um, his right, when we know Jesus pleading his righteousness before the Father, it's far easier for to us to admit our own unrighteousness before the Father. Do you hear that? Does that not make sense? When you know that Jesus uh, is pleading his righteousness before the Father, it is far easier for us to begin owning up to our own unrighteousness and to be able to see repentance even as a kiss of God give a given to us to, to keep the record clean and to clear our conscience. I want you to imagine, you've seen it, Growing up, we lived in an area that had curb and gutter, and every once in a while there would be a grate and there would be a huge drain there, and the leaves would, would come and collect, and they would be collect over that drain, and there would be a big backup. Repentance is like this. Repentance is like reaching down your arm and, and grabbing a hold of those leaves that are stopping up that water and pulling them out of the way so the water can rush through cleanly. Repentance cleans your heart clears your conscience. So what is clogging up the drain in your heart today? I bet it has something to do with pride. (laughs) Just a guess. What is clogging up the drain in your heart today? Take it to Jesus, your high priest. He's paid for it. Unload it. And then walk in Holy Spirit boldness. Abba, Father, the Spirit taught us to pray. Walk in Holy Spirit boldness. 
Jesus is praying for you so that you can pray the way he does. He's praying for you so that you too can pray the way he does. Abba, Father, praying. And one of the ways, just one of the ways is, remember what Jesus said in the garden, um, if it be your will, take this cup. If it be your will, heading, looking to the cross, take this cup away. Um, but if not, uh, your will be done, not mine. Consider this, pray this way. If it be your will, take this cup of suffering, whatever it is before you, take it away. But if not, give me the grace every single day to thrive even in that suffering. That's a big prayer. That's a Holy Spirit bold prayer. Take the suffering away, but if not, let me thrive in it. Let me drink your grace and have joy. Suffer your suffering then without being embittered um, as Jesus um, is offering you, calling you to great things on his, for his sake. To suffer for him, but then also to be joyful with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we um, are amazed. If this is all true, it's a really amazing thing. And we believe that it is. That you are praying for us. That your work on the cross has secured salvation for all those who put their trust in you. And you now are praying for us. Where there are discouraged hearts, may they look to you, Jesus, and see not only your cross, but you praying for them. Where there is hopelessness, may they see you praying for them. Where there is pride and self-sufficiency, let them see that you pray because they're not where they need to be. Not yet humbled. So Lord, we're, we're looking to you, um, even praying in the next room, um, as we um, offer up these requests. Um, May no one leave this place um, until seeing the beauty of Jesus and entrusting hearts to him. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.